You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Think before you post. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hello, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, we're joined by Ben Yellen. He's a regular contributor over on the Cyberwire, and he is a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Home. Homeland Security. I asked him to join us because I wanted to dig into one of the most annoying Facebook scams that simply refuses to die. Can you tell I'm wound up about this, Joe? I, I can tell. I don't know which Facebook scam it is. Okay. Well, um, I decided it was time to go to an expert. Okay. And we are back. Joe, before we kick things off with our stories, we got a note from a listener. This okay. is from a gentleman named Lewis. And he writes in, first of all, I have to say that Lewis is from Australia. Ah. You know what that means. <laughs> Wacky accents. <laughs> Ridiculous accents. <laughs> Lewis writes in and he says, Hi, I often listen to the Catch of the Day section to think to myself how strange it is that I seem to be lucky and that I do not really get a lot of scam emails and messages. However, if I think about it, <laughs> I receive plenty of contact attempts on Instagram from scantily clad women with names made up mostly entirely of numbers, but usually I would block them and forget about it. I recently received this text message and for a second felt happy to have won something. Then I put on my skeptical hat and realized I have no memory of completing this survey. A quick search revealed it. It is a scam. Right. I had already emailed the company to check it. However, it seems they already knew as they have a Facebook post about the text. It's something poor in that it doesn't seem to go into much detail about the scam. It's quite interesting in how the scammers are able to send a text and make it appear to have come from the same service that a legitimate company uses. Anyway, I thought this interesting, so I thought I'd pass it along. Thanks for an entertaining and informative show. Keep up the great work. You and Joe make a great team. I do find your Aussie accent quite funny, too. <laughs> He's probably laughing right now. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe one of these days I'm going to practice that. Maybe I'll take a class. On yeah, a class would be good. <laughs> maybe you should spend some time in Australia and pick it up. Uh, that's a good excuse. Yeah. Maybe I could go stay with uh, our friend Lewis here. Right. If he has a spare bedroom or something. It'd I got friends in Australia. International exchange program. Well, this is a good scam that he pointed out here. This is uh, someone texts you from out of the blue, and the bait is that you've won some sort of survey or lottery thing. I think, you know, we've all been walking around in a shopping mall or something, and there's things as you fill out this form, and you could win this new car. Right. right? That sort of thing. I never do that. I, well, not, neither do I, but plenty of people do. Right. So this plays on that, that in the back of your mind, it could be you, you hey, might have maybe. a memory yeah. of filling something out. You drop your business card in a fishbowl at a restaurant, those, right. those kind of things. Right, yep. right. Get a free lunch. Right. The other part of this that he addresses that I think is interesting is the scammer's ability to make the link look like a legitimate company. Huh. And it's not terribly complicated what's going on here. In the same way that I could have a link that said, you know, to find out more, click here. And right. I could have the click here text be the link that we a URL to go somewhere. Instead of saying click here, I could have it look like a link. So we Correct. could say HTTP, you know, www. You know, the FBI.com you know, or something, that, something legitimate. That's an excellent point, Dave. We've never really talked about that on this show, but the link text that you see and the, the URL that's actually behind it can be two completely different things. Exactly. 
Yep. Exactly. And that's what this points out. And it's a really good point. It's something to be careful about. Mm -hmm. Obviously, on your desktop machine, anytime before you click on a link, hover over it, let it pop up and see where it's really going. There are ways to do that on mobile. It's a little more complicated, but it's worth your time to look up. So thanks to uh, Lewis for sending this in to us and apologies for the Australian accent. (laughs) All right, Joe, why don't you kick things off for us? What do you have uh, for your Uh, story? My story also comes from out of town this week, Dave, but I will spare everybody my accent. This comes from uh, Rory, who is a listener in Ireland. He reached out to me on Twitter and sent me a link to this story. Yeah, very nice. Thank you, Rory. There is an organization in Ireland called the GAA, the Gaelic Athletic Association. Okay. And they run a number of traditional Irish sports leagues, including the Gaelic Football League. And as you may imagine, tickets for these events are in demand. uh, And the final game happened last weekend. There was a story last week in the Independent of Ireland about a woman from Kildare named Siobhan, and that's not her real name. They just called her Siobhan in the article. Mm-hmm. She reached out to a man on adverts.ie, which is, I guess, like a like an Irish version of Craigslist, Okay, uh, who said that he had two tickets to the championship game of Dublin versus Kerry, and he wanted to sell them at face value. And Siobhan said that she wanted to take her 14-year-old daughter to see the game because her 14-year-old daughter's a fan. They exchanged phone numbers, and... He claims, this guy claims he's a solicitor, but got a job working for the Gaelic Athletic Association and had spare tickets for the final. Okay. And he wanted, he wanted to ensure that the tickets didn't fall into the hands of touts, is what the article says. But that's basically a scalper. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And would only sell to genuine fans. He said he would only sell them to someone who he trusted would not sell them for a profit. Ah. So he's looking for trust, right? Yeah. They spoke over the phone, Siobhan and this guy, for an hour and agreed to share social media accounts as an extra precaution. So you can see who I am. I'm a real person. Right. Uh, and the following morning, the two arranged to meet at Croke Park in Dublin so the tickets could be handed over. Okay. Now, Croke Park is where this game is going to take place. Now the man says he has three more tickets that he wants to sell, two premium seats and one hill seat. And he only wants to sell them again to genuine fans. Mm-hmm. So Siobhan says she immediately contacts some of her friends who are over the moon at the opportunity, and she accepts right away. The total face value of all these tickets, 420 euros. Talking real money here. Talking real money, right. Yeah. So Siobhan tells the guy that his daughter is very excited, and he says, well, look, here's a picture of where you're going to be sitting on Sunday, mm. right? And it's, it's from the outside of the stadium. And she says, I have no reason to doubt his authenticity. Mm-hmm. So Siobhan goes to Dublin, which is actually not a far trip from where she's from, Kildare. But while she's there, she has three kids in tow from her neighbor that she's watching. She meets a guy outside of a James Gill's corner house at 1 p.m., which is just around the block from the stadium. And the guy shows up. He's a very well-dressed man. And he even promises the kids they can have a tour of the stadium afterwards, hmm. right? Because, hey, I'm, I'm with the GAA. I mm-hmm. can get you in there. Yeah, he works sh- there. Show you around. I mean, there's nothing going on right now. Why not look around? So he explains that he shouldn't really be selling the tickets and that his job at the GAA would be in jeopardy if anybody ever found out, right? Mm-hmm. So keep it on the down low. They then walk to the ticket office, which is just down the block a little bit, about a quarter mile away, and says to Siobhan, you sit here in this outdoor seating area at a cafe and I'll go get the tickets. And Siobhan then hands him the 420 euros and then she turns around to see the kids as she's mining. And that's the last she sees of him. He's gone. Mm-hmm. About 25 minutes goes by and Siobhan realizes, hey, something's up. And she tries to call him. His phone is off. It doesn't work anymore. So she says, I know the Instagram account. That's Mm. gone too, right? Mm. He has disappeared. All evidence of his online activity is gone. And she says she's very upset because she could not believe she had fallen victim to such a scam. She 
contacts the police and they say they are aware of this guy and they are definitely going to investigate it. So now Siobhan is out 420 euros and she has a daughter at home that she now has to break this news to that they're not going to get the tickets. Mm-hmm. A couple things in this story that kind of raise red flags to me. The deal just keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. It starts out as two tickets, then it becomes two more tickets and a premium ticket. Right. And then eventually it becomes, hey, I can give you a tour of the place. It just keeps getting better. But each of those things that that makes it better also increases the legitimacy of this guy. Right. I can take you for a behind the scenes tour. Correct. Yeah. It uh, it does increase the legitimacy of this guy. Now, I don't know if I'm going to buy tickets from somebody. The very first thing I want to see is the tickets. Right. Right. You're not getting money from me until I see the tickets and we sit down at a table. But even then, you're still running the risk of buying counterfeit tickets. Well, and it seems like he set this up so that she gave him the money that he was then going to use to go buy the tickets using his credentials. Right. Is how he framed it. That I may guess. have been how he framed it, but he also framed it. He had these tickets because he worked for the GAA. So, hey, right. I get two free tickets because I work there. I don't know. But yeah. it's a sad story. It's interesting to me because he completely set up a fake persona online, right? Mm-hmm. He had a fake telephone number and he had a fake Instagram account, probably pictures of him. Those accounts are gone, but I'll bet Instagram still has the data. Well, it's so brazen. It is brazen. It's I'm sure there there must be uh, security camera footage of him yeah. with the, the, as much walking around as they did. I bet this guy gets caught. I hope so. Yeah, me too. Yeah, what a scumbag. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's certainly a cautionary tale. My story this week is about someone pretending to be someone they're not uh, in order to access people's location data. Ah. This is a story comes from the Daily Beast, written by Adam Ronsley and Seamus Hughes. And it's out of Colorado. The Colorado Public Safety Task Force got in touch with some folks at T-Mobile. And they said they had an urgent situation. There was a man who was suicidal. Huh. And they needed the location from his phone to save his life. So after T-Mobile hands over the GPS data, this task force gets back in touch with them and says, good news, they found the man in a field outside of an apartment complex. They got to him just in time and they saved his life. Uh However, the problem turns out there is no Colorado Public Safety Task Force. Right. The Public Safety Task Force was the creation of a bail bondsman named Matthew Marr. The people he was trying to track down were not suicidal. They were bond jumpers. They were bail jumpers he was trying to catch. (laughs) Right. And he was repeatedly contacting various mobile providers, T-Mobile, Verizon, Sprint, the folks who would have your location data under the guise of this Colorado Public Safety Task Force to get people's location information. And they would turn it over. Eventually, a employee at Verizon sort of caught on to this because of the number of requests that they were getting from this organization. Yeah, we never got these requests before, but now we're getting a lot of them. Right. Seems inordinate. Right. This person decided to call back the phone number for this alleged organization. And when he called, got Joe's bail bondsman. bondsman Right, (laughs) right, right, exactly. (laughs) And so they contacted the FBI and uh, really? they, yep, that high up, that high up. Huh. And the FBI 
followed up, and uh, sure enough, uh, he's been accused of wire fraud. This Mr. Marr has been charged with wire fraud. He will not be a bail bondsman anymore. No, he will not. <laughs> but it's an interesting little bit of social engineering. It is. That's very creative. It is. Like we always talk about, this time pressure thing. We have yep. someone who is reportedly suicidal. You don't have time to think about this. I need this location information. I've been trying to think about from a user's point of view, for you and me using our phones, right? if we didn't want our location information to be made available, there's really no way to prevent this. I suppose the point could be made that if you or I or someone we love truly were suicidal, right. we would want our location. <laughs> we, we, right. we would want law enforcement to be able to come and at least try to talk us out of it, right? Well, well maybe. You I or mean, me. Well, but if some, it's so, it someone be, we love. It would be good. Yeah, if somebody, yes. If it was someone we love, we definitely want to have that done. Right. Now, I'm not saying the person who's doing that would want to have that done. But no. yes, you're right. There is yeah. definitely a good side to this. Now, yeah. here's my question. Is there some legally acceptable route that this bail bondsman could have gone to get this information? Could he have asked for a court order for the information to be released to him so that he can go out and collect the bail jumper? Because this is part of the judicial system, mm -hmm. right? Judges have a vested interest in having these guys be brought back in front of the court. Right. right. Mm -hmm. So maybe they would be willing to issue a subpoena for that or a, a warrant. Although he's not a police officer, so I don't know that a warrant's the correct thing. Yeah, I don't know a lot about the the bail bonds uh, yeah, what, industry. I, 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 I haven't watched any of those reality shows. No, I don't watch them either. <laughs> but, uh, but I do know that they are entitled to go after people who have jumped bail. And I, I wonder if there's a competitive aspect to this. By doing this, he got very accurate information very quickly, and maybe that gave him a competitive edge over some other people who might be after the same fugitive or, or something uh, no, like that. No, I think he's the only one after the fugitive. Is that right? Because what's happened is he has said, this is my understanding of how this works. He goes to a court with a guy who has a bond hearing, and they set the bond at, say, $100,000. Mm -hmm. He charges the accused criminal, the alleged criminal, about 10% of that, about $10,000. And then he says to the court, if this guy jumps bail, I will give you $100,000. I see. Right. Or I will make him appear. Mm -hmm. Right. So now he has a very large financial incentive to have that guy show up on his court date. I see. And if he doesn't show up on his court date, then he can go out and get him. And he has a, like arresting authority, I think, to capture this guy mm -hmm. and bring him back in. And then he's not on the hook for $100,000 at that point in time. I see. All right. Well, Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Our catch of the day came from a user over on Reddit who posted this email that they received. Josie, if you can figure out what the problem is with this scam email, it says... Dear Beneficiary, I want to let you that we receive another email right now from a young man called Mr. Mark Douglas. He said that you got an accident and died yesterday, that before you died in the hospital, you gave him the power of attorney to inherit your fund worth $10.7 million in our custody, and he said that he is ready to pay for the VAT charge duty so that we can hand over the fund to him. We need a confirmation to this, and if we do not hear from you within a couple of six hours, we are going to take the action by handing over him to the fund. Best regard. <laughs> Joe? You could respond with my death was definitely a bump in the road, but it could have been much worse. Anyway, I never told my attorney he could have the money before I died. Does me getting the money back require my being alive? <laughs> <laughs> right. How do you respond to a scam email when you're already dead? Right. Now, this is a good one. This is somebody trying to lure you in 
by making you think that somebody else is trying to scam you out of $10 million that doesn't exist. I suspect this may have gone through some translation layers. Yeah, uh, it's pretty bad. Because, <laughs> uh, I don't know, I, how can you expect a response from someone who died yesterday? Yes. All right. Well, it's a quick one, but that is this week's catch of the day. Coming up next, we've got my conversation from Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. And we are going to dig into one of the most annoying Facebook scams that simply refuses to die. And we're back, Joe. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Ben Yellen. He's a regular over on the CyberWire, and he is a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. He is also a real live lawyer, ah. and he's going to uh, help me dig into some of the legal issues and details in a Facebook scam that I have to say just annoys the dickens out of me. So here's my conversation with Ben Yellen. So, Ben, thanks for joining us. I wanted to check in with you on this because this seems to be one of those online annoyances that refuses to die and pops up every few months. Just to go back and cover the background of it, any of us who use uh, Facebook or Instagram will see this message come by from one of our friends and something along the lines of a message that says, I do not give Instagram or any entities associated with Facebook permission to use my pictures, information, messages, or posts, both past and future. With this statement, I give notice to Instagram. It is strictly forbidden to disclose, copy, distribute, or take any other action against me based on this profile or its contents, and so on and so on and so on. You're a lawyer. What's going on here? <laughs> I'm a lawyer, but I'm also a person who spends time on social media. Uh-huh. And I just crack up at how gullible people are. And I'm gullible to a certain extent. But the fact that someone would see a paragraph that's in a bunch of different fonts with exclamation points, you know, three exclamation points after the deadline tomorrow that comes in the first words of whatever post it is, something that references a Channel 9 or Channel 13 news report, which is bizarre. I presume there are a lot of Channel 9s and Channel 13s out there. It doesn't really cite which one it is. Right. It also tends to say, you know, deadline tomorrow, everything that you've ever posted becomes public tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, it's just so silly. First, I started noticing it on the Facebook pages of people who, let's say, might not be as technologically inclined. So Mm -hmm. some of my friends who might be on the older side of the ledger, and that I understand, they don't have the same sort of cyber hygiene preparedness that we have. Right. Folks who might not be digital natives. Exactly. In the past, I've also seen people I went to law school with or people who really should know better. To think that by copying and pasting something onto your Facebook profile, or your Instagram profile, that you're granting yourself any sort of legal rights is just hilariously preposterous. Not to mention the fact that this scam has been popping up every few months for the past six or seven years, you would think that the people who are posting this would have come into contact with this in the past and would realize that it was a scam. Yeah. I guess I'm just sort of dumbfounded as to how people keep falling for this. Well, I want to dig in with you because you do have the expertise on this sort of thing. So let's just walk through it together. What is going on here in terms of what I agree to when I sign up for something like Facebook and how a message like this has any influence over that? 
before you sign up for Facebook, and for most of us, that was probably sometime, you know, longer than 10 years ago. And we probably clicked that we agreed to the terms and conditions in like two seconds, but we did right. agree to them. Even though folks like you who are lawyers tell us to never agree to anything legal without reading it. Yeah, but I want to know what my high school friends are up to now. I don't want to have to wait 10 minutes. Fair enough. So before you can use Facebook, you have to agree to their legal terms and services and their privacy policy. There's a lot contained in those hundreds of pages of privacy policies. Nothing remotely equivalent to what you see in these warnings where it says Facebook is trying to copyright your private photographs. That doesn't exist in their terms and conditions. That's something that's never existed since Facebook came onto the scene over 15 years ago. They've never claimed copyright to personal information or photographs. They've never announced plans that would make all these Facebook posts public. So that's just something that's never been contemplated by Facebook. You do, you know, release some property rights when you agree to sign up for Facebook, but a lot of those rights are just far more mundane. And you can opt out of them simply by not signing up for a Facebook account or trying to get Facebook to change its public policies. So the idea that copying and pasting something onto your profile would have some sort of legal significance is just so far out of bounds. Part of what annoys me about this copy and paste thing is that so often, as you mentioned at the outset, you know, people who should know better will post something like better safe than sorry, and then they copy and paste it. And this is just noise added to the signal. I've become somewhat relentless uh, in my replies to these. I have a copy and paste where I say, this is a hoax. Please do not perpetuate it. Please delete this message. The better safe than sorry thing absolutely drives me crazy as well. If there is some other hoax warning, you know, let's say you tried to convince people that a hurricane was coming and you'd have to shelter in place, you know, within the next 10 minutes. Otherwise, you're going to be killed by an incoming hurricane. Would you go into the basement of a building just because it was better safe than sorry? Of course not. You'd have a BS detector in your brain. You'd say, I would have found out that a hurricane was coming prior to the last five minutes. Whomever is telling me this probably has no idea whether a hurricane is coming. And it would be absolutely ridiculous to take any action on the basis of something that's so obviously false. You know, to make a broader point, the fact that people can't see the warning signs that this is a fake post are kind of deeply concerning to me, uh, especially <laughs> yeah, when you have yeah. things like ransomware attacks, they come from posts that look an awful lot like this, from mm -hmm. disreputable email addresses, a lot of capitalization, changes in fonts, you know, scary sounding warnings about an action that must be taken. And if people are falling for something so obvious like this, what's to stop, you know, somebody who works for a city government, for example, from clicking on an email and bringing down an entire city's digital infrastructure? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's just... You're, you're absolutely right. This better safe than sorry thing is a canard. It makes no sense whatsoever. If you have any doubts as to whether some social media warning is true, 
First of all, it's almost certainly not true. Second of all, paste it into a Google search. Mm-hmm. You can immediately see that this has been a long-running, consistent internet hoax that has been debunked by reputable news organizations. Think before you post, I think, is the advice summed down into three words. And just have a better BS detector. It's, it's just incumbent on all of us to be able to identify BS like this. So that's my little sermon on this post. All right, Joe, what do you think? This really irritates you, doesn't it, Dave? Yes, it does, Joe. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. And they come in waves, Joe. They, they come do. in waves. <laughs> Dave, this reminds me of a couple of things. Number one, in the days before Facebook, mm-hmm. I got an email from a family friend that said, please forward to all your contacts. There's a child missing, right? And it had a picture of a kid mm-hmm. and everything. And I take this stuff and do exactly what Ben says here. And I put it into a Google search and lo and behold, it comes out as a scam. Mm -hmm. So I've received a number of these. And by now, like you, I'm irritated. (laughs) So I click the reply all button Mm -hmm. deliberately, Mm -hmm. right? And send a message that says, do not forward this to anybody lest you look like a fool. I mm. was a little less eloquent. I was going to say diplomatic of you, Joe. <laughs> right. but, yeah, a little less diplomatic than I could have been. I actually think I use that term, lest you look like a fool, and said, this is a scam. It's been going on for years. This child was missing for one day in, in 1980 and was found, or you know, it was in the 80s this kid was missing. I got a phone call from the person that sent the email out. Oh. Uh, and this person was very upset with me mm-hmm. because I had embarrassed her in front of a bunch of people that she thought were important. And my reply to her was, you sent this out without verifying its authenticity, I did a Google search, which took me five seconds to do the search Mm -hmm. to find out this was a scam. And this person responded to me, well, exactly what Ben was saying, better safe than sorry. Yeah. And I said, I think it's safer to do the Google search so you don't look like a fool. Well, and also you don't end up crying wolf. Exactly. That's another, that's a very important point. In this kind of a situation, you don't want to distribute that kind of information if it's false, because Mm -hmm. then people start to think, oh, this is another missing child report. Right. It's fake. Right. Don't distribute uh, fake missing child reports. I have another friend on Facebook. (laughs) All she does is forward missing child reports. Her entire Facebook feed is missing child reports. It's a crying wolf sort of thing. They become invisible. They do. Uh, I'm glad that I have Amber Alerts to come on my phone now because Mm -hmm. now I'm getting a geographically directed Amber Alert about a missing kid. Properly vetted. Right. Properly (laughs) vetted. Exactly. Another thing this reminds me of is somebody was suggesting that they print up T-shirts that say, by selling me this software, you are voiding any end user license agreement. So that when you walk into Best Buy and you buy software, that somehow that gets you off the hook <laughs> for oh, the EULA. I see. I see. Right? Yeah. And I Googled it. I can't find it. I can't find any reference uh-huh. to it. But I did find something similar. It's a T-shirt that says, notice, management by serving me is responsible for any losses to my person or property that result in use of this establishment. I don't know. I think if Ben heard this, he would be like, yeah, that's not going to work either. Yeah. Unless uh, you could get him to sign your shirt, maybe, right. or, yeah, or click, <laughs> exactly. click something. Yeah. Got to get him to sign it. Right. Uh, and I agree 100% with Ben. It is incumbent upon all of us to have better BS detectors. Yeah. If we had better BS detectors as people, would we be better off? Because if we had better BS detectors, would we start looking at everything as a scam? Like you and I have said before, I'd rather well, be scammed every now and then than help somebody, not yeah, help somebody who needs it. I think there's a difference, though. As a group. Right. <laughs> as a group. We're kind of preaching to the choir here, right? By virtue that we have folks listening to a show about how not to be scammed. Right. These are people who are interested in bettering their BS detectors. Right. So hats off to them. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, and you know what? Tell everybody you know to listen to this show. Well, all right, sure, yes, absolutely, yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But I think the bigger picture is do everything you can to try to help folks who need helping along with this sort of thing, right? Yeah. Just provide them with the tools. Don't just shame them. Educate, educate them. Right. Provide them with the tools to better protect themselves, their families, their loved ones. Maybe send them a DM rather than commenting on on the post like <laughs> maybe Dave not does. hitting reply all. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Not hitting yeah. reply all. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I, I, but Dave, what I'm saying there is I totally relate with your frustration. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Our staff writer is Tim Nodar. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.